So today's part two, looking at the judgment of God and the judgment of man and how they uh, relate to one another. I, I don't want to say are opposed to one another, although in a lot of ways they are opposed to one another. Uh, so let's get started. I, uh, I was thinking this week about what I was going to be talking about, and somehow this crazy thought comes across my mind. I thought about, have y'all seen National Lampoon's Vacation, where they, the Griswolds go on vacation, and they somehow or another take a wrong turn and go into this bad neighborhood, and the people in the neighborhood are like nuts. they like bad, okay, a bunch of bad folks around, you know, and they beat up the car, all kinds of bad things go wrong and everything, and I don't know why that popped into my mind, but it made me kind of uh, think about this scenario. Imagine this, okay? Imagine this sweet, young, loving couple with their children going on vacation, and uh, they find themselves taking a wrong turn, and they go through this bad neighborhood. Well, they spend some time there, and they find themselves being like kind of a, a light to these, this crazy environment that they find themselves in. I mean, the people in the neighborhood are like bad, okay? And, uh, but their lives, while they're, while they're in this area, seems to communicate to the people around them that there is a goodness that can be, be had because it, it wasn't there before. It was like darkness there, and these people come in, and there's this, this light of, of goodness that they see in these people. So there are some people in this area who are, are drawn to them, and then there's other people who shun them and push them away. So they spend some time there, and uh, at some point they say, it's time, the vacation's over, it's time to go home. So they go to leave, and when they do, the people who are opposed to them put these roadblocks up so that they can't get away because they really, they're jealous of them and they want to kill them because there was, because there was something in these people that testified against them that caused them to be like angry with these nice, sweet, loving people that, that was in their neighborhood. So. They get in their car and they try to exit. As they do, they experience more and more resistance. The closer they get to freedom, the more the resistance. But the goodness that was in them is growing as they went. And they continued to have greater and greater effect with other people actually joining in with them, trying to help them. But that resistance became greater and greater. Then. When all seemed lost, they came to this final barrier that they had to penetrate to leave this neighborhood. And 
they couldn't leave. They, were, they were, felt like they were bound there forever. But they had a friend from the outside who broke through that barrier and grabbed them and rescued them and took them out of that neighborhood and to, into freedom. So does this story sound vaguely familiar to you guys in regard to anything? By the way, if anybody wants to share, raise your hand and, and we'll get you a mic. Well, believe it or not, I think you may realize this, but there's an analogy in this, in this uh, story. It's a picture of like 2,000 years of human history. It's a picture of the, the, the body of Christ in the earth and how that body moved through time and is growing in, in, in grace and wisdom and stature as it goes, but finds itself meeting resistance as it goes. And in the end, somebody's gonna come back, and we all know who that is, and is gonna extract us from, from, from the death that we find surrounding us. And when that happens, the, what's gonna be left in the earth is a lack of light. And that light, that, that lack of light will manifest into very poor conditions in this world. We know that that is gonna, the scriptures are full of that. But listen to this, apart from what happens in the earth, and what people may like misperceive about the judgment of God. Who, who exactly, what is the, the nature of God who we know is the judge of all mankind? What is the nature of this guy? I need for y'all, I want, want y'all to share with me. And you don't necessarily need a mic for this. Just blurt, blurt it out, speak loud. But who, who is God? Well, I'm going to start. I'm going to start us off. Okay, God. Okay, is light and life, as opposed to what? Darkness, darkness and death, as opposed to darkness. I'm going to try and spell right, and death. Now, we got to remember this, that if he is light and life, as opposed to, to darkness and death, it, it necessarily means that darkness and death are not found in God, but mankind. Religion, religions all over the world, the myriads see darkness and death as coming from God. But if God is light and life, there can be no darkness and death in him. Yes.
Jesus. Mm -hmm. And this is the test by which Jesus, but this is the test by which men are judged. The light has come into the world, and men love the darkness more than they love the light, because their deeds were Yes. Well, it's uh, it's interesting. Y you're stealing my show because I'm going to quote those scriptures a little bit later. <laughs> That's okay, though. I'll forgive you. So, but what what are some of the attributes of God? You know, we, we by the way, the attributes of God, we could fill up this whole board and more, okay? But there's certain things we know about the Lord. What is What do the scriptures say about God? Don't they say God is love? He is love. Right? What else do they say about him? Goodness. That's right. You know, they asked Jesus, uh, somebody came to Jesus and asked him, good master, you know, what must we do? And he said, he, he stopped them right there and he said, listen, only God is good. Now, he wasn't saying that he wasn't God and that he wasn't good. He knew, he knew the heart in that guy that that man was just looking at him as another religious leader, as a man, as solely a man. So he had to explain to that man that only God is good. But guess what? God is good. He is good. He is merciful. Gracious. Don't stop because I only got five ticks up here. Uh, patient. He's immortal. He's a giving, giving God. By the way, there's a little bit of rhyme to my reason with all of this that goes beyond just listing a bunch of things about God. Because when we finish, we're going to see something about God that is, uh, is quite astounding when you consider the world in which we live, okay? He's faithful. He's create. He's creator. Amen. You know, it, it's it's a good thing we, we when we think about the attributes of God, we think of creator. Why is that? Because the one who creates all things and creates them perfectly created us. So even when things might manifest in human beings that are not good, who he created is good. So somehow or another, we begin, have to begin to think, as, I, as we spoke of last week, like who? Not like us, like who? We've got to think like God, okay? And when we, when we begin to have his mind, 
his judgments about things, we begin to discern things properly and to speak of those things properly. You know, Christians should be, oh, he's, he's uh, full of forgiveness, right? Holy, righteous, all-knowing, all-knowing, see if I had anything, because I, I jotted down a few things myself, he's trustworthy. He, he, he can be completely trusted, trustworthy. And he's just. And just. He's the beginning and the end. He's the beginning and the end. And end. He's kind. Life giver. Amen. Life giver. Servant. He's a servant. Who's he serving? Who is he the servant of? But he. Hmm. He's our friend. Yeah. And we're going to stop here. Although, like I say, we can fill this side of the board up and the other side and probably keep on going. But what the whole this whole exercise is based around one particular thing. Do you see anything negative in God? Do you think the world or religion might look at God and see something in God that is possibly not forgiving, not friendly, yes. not uh, holy? Here's another one here. Watch this. Here's a good one. Innocent. Now, let me, it, it's kind of interesting. A while back, I looked up the word innocence in, uh, in the English dictionary, and it means to be unacquainted with evil. Uh, and when I say unacquainted with evil, it doesn't mean like evil's over there, and uh, I'm not going to touch that stuff. I'm not, I'm not going to be acquainted with it. Unacquainted with evil means almost, almost as if to you, evil does not exist. So unacquainted, unequ to be, to be uh, 
perfectly whole and, and separated from sin and death. That's what innocence means. And uh, so a guy that finds himself like that is going to think and reason and judge according to who he is. That's the whole idea of what we're trying to get at here. So when it comes to uh, what, what's, what's known as the final judgment, first of all, I want you to know there is no terminology in the scriptures about, no, I don't want to say about, there is no term that says final judgment in the scriptures. Right. It, it just, you can look it up in your concordance. It doesn't say final judgment anywhere. Although we do know in the end, there is going to be a final judgment. We realize that. But what that judgment is and how it manifests, it, it leaves a whole heck of a lot of for conjecture. And when you look at this, we're going to flip this over for a second. Now remember this, this God is the God that is the evaluator and the, the one who has something within himself by which he judges. And there is nothing in him that is not good and not, and is not, oh, here's another one. Okay. I'm going to come down here. He is for man. He's not against man. That's why the scriptures would say that God is not slow in his coming, but he's patient, not willing that any should perish, but all come to believe, to, to, to repentance, unto, unto life. So that is the God that is judging. Now, I'm going to flip this over. By the way, the fruit of God's life is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faith, meekness, temperance. And uh, temperance is, communicates this, like this great restraint that, he, that you have within yourself. So that's the God. That's what's in God's heart. Now, the book of Revelation, I can tell you, uh, just so you'll, you'll know, I'm not going to do a study of the book of Revelation. Thank you. Uh, I'm not going to do some kind of exhaustive study of the book of Revelation right now. But we're going to speak of it because when most people think of, of judgment, that's the book that they think of mo most often, right? So, I'm going to read to you something from, from Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Listen to what John writes, okay? He says, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book 
and loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven or in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said to me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Amen. Now, this is the question. Do y'all, have y'all read the book of Revelation? I don't know if you have or not, but I'm going to tell you there are some fearful things that occur as these seals are being opened up. Am I correct about that? No question about it. But we know who is worthy to open the seals, and we know what is in his heart toward mankind, which is what? Nothing but good. So the one opening these seals is good, and the ultimate end of the opening of the seals is toward our good. Does that make sense to you? So, why would you say, in the in light of what I just said, why would you say that John wept when there was nobody that would open up the could open up that uh, that scroll? Why would you Why would you think he wept for that? If opening these seals would manifest some things that were not very nice. Why would he why would he weep over that? Okay. Well, I, l let me put it to you this way. The the opening of the seals was meant toward the unveiling of something that in the end, upon the culmination of this unveiling, something would manifest. And what would that manifestation be? Christ. Christ. So when you look at the, the, uh, the word revelation, the book of revelation, that, re that word is apocalypse. That's where we get the word apocalypse from. Now, when people think of the ap apocalypse, what do they think of? What is, what in, in the world, in religion, what do people think of when they think of the apocalypse? Destruction. Y'all saw the movie back in the 60s or 70s, whatever it is, Apocalypse Now? Well, that was not a good, very nice movie, I can tell you. I'm not recommending the movie. But it was all about the destruction and death that took place in Vietnam. But what, is, what does the apocalypse actually mean? It means the appearing, the coming, the lightning, the manifestation, something that is being revealed. And that thing which is being revealed is like, like when you look back on my friends going through and, and there was somebody came and rescued them. It is the revelation of the one who came to save us and to give us life. 
and that, that we might have his life and light and his judgment about things. Now when this revelation takes place, when that light of life comes, that light will illuminate that which is hidden in darkness. Because the darkness, uh, that that darkness, that it might be seen what is in the darkness, right? Does that make sense to you? But just as that family I spoke of illuminated the world around it, prior to the coming of their friend, the, the disorder that ensued did manifest. The death there was manifesting as their light became more evident. I firmly believe that when you look at, at, at the negative, negative things that occur in, in the world at the time of the Lord's return, it is because the light is being manifested and it's just illuminating or lighting up the, the death that's found in the world. But it's not that that destruction, that disorder that, that occurs during that period of time is not from God. It is just being revealed by that. And I'm, uh, I'll give you an example of that. In Isaiah chapter 14, listen to this. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Who's Lucifer? He's Satan. How you are caught down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation at the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the clouds and be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those you, now, now listen to this kind of unusual description of Satan when he's cast down. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not release his prisoners? So now I have to ask you, when you see, when you see this description, is this not the one who made the world a wilderness, destroyed its cities, and who would not release his prisoners? Does that recall something for you? Like as you read the book of Revelation? There's destruction that happens in the book of Revelation. But who is this at the hand of? Babylon. The, the mind that is found in the world. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting that uh, just as David fell Goliath with a smooth stone, his death actually came 
upon him at his own sword. So it's like, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that was what was occurring there. Young David, in, in, in the faith instilled in him by God, slew or fell Goliath with a single small stone. But he took his life with, at the hand of Goliath's own sword. And that is the kind of thing that you see manifesting in the book of uh, Revelation. Gideon was another example of this. And listen to this uh, from chapter 19 in Isaiah. Behold, the Lord rides upon a swift cloud and shall come into Egypt. And the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence. And, his, and the heart of, the, of, of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. And I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians. And they will fight one another, brother against brother every one against his neighbor, city against city, and kingdom against kingdom. And the spirit of Egypt shall fail in the midst thereof, and I will destroy the counsel thereof, or the mind thereof. So as the Lord is revealed, so are the hearts of the ones that he comes to, and their hearts are manifest and you see the destruction you see in the book of Revelation. But it's not from God. It's what's in the world. So, as far as I'm concerned, my biggest task today is to explain that God is good. He, doesn't not, he does not mean destruction and death to the world, but, it, but destruction and death will come in this world in the end but it is not at his hand. Now, anybody got any thoughts about Mike, Marie? I think Greg was going to share something. Yeah, it's the, the destruction and death is already here. Yes. Absolutely. And, and, and people think the wisdom that, that's here that produces the destruction and death is wise unto life. Right. They think it looks good for food. Yep. And, and so the, the, the judgment and revelation is, is God coming and revealing the plague that is already in Babylon. It's not God coming and adding a plague to Babylon. It's that there's already a plague in Babylon, and people think that Babylon can give life. And so the judgment is kind of like Jesus coming um, in John where he says it's the thief that steals, kills, and destroys but when I am come, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So the, the, the judgment is against Babylon. It's a rejection of Babylon as the way unto life and it's the declaration that within Babylon is not life but a plague. Yes. Right? And he brings the council he destroys the council of the world by revealing that it can't give life that's right and by pulling back the veil and showing everybody there's actually a plague in there that's right which is what it says in revelation 18 come out of her my people come out of her and be not a partaker with her of her plague in yes. her plague right amen 
And listen, it's not even honestly the the uh, the belief system of Babylon that exists in the people is not a testimony to uh, what is in the hearts of men, but it's like because they refuse to come into the light, it is a it, it, it turns into like this testimony against them, although listen, there is not a, a soul on on this planet that is above salvation, above receiving and seeing that light and turning to that light. Go ahead, Thomas. Uh, to put it in uh, more contemporary terms, to quote uh, Taylor Swift, uh, the trash takes itself <laughs> the trash takes itself out every single time. That's what she says. Taylor Swift said Taylor that? Swift said that. Really? And so that came to mind because God's not going to destroy the world. The world's destroying itself. Yeah. There's no question about it. And that's what I'm trying that's part of what I'm trying to get at. But go ahead, my uh Matt. You know, the colon I think you did you turn it off or Okay. Uh, you were talking about the characteristics of God. Yes. Okay. And and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's right. So that wisdom is always doing what it does. Mm -hmm. And what I see in the book of Revelation is that it's busy. It, it's showing us, it's giving us a picture of what the wisdom of God does to the wisdom of the world. So when I'm reading the book of Revelation, I don't have to automatically go to a place of eschatology with that because I can see that very thing happening in my own heart. Mm -hmm. I can see the wisdom of God coming into me and destroying and exposing the wisdom of Babylon that was residing in my heart Yes. in order to create a new heaven and a new earth, which is when heaven collides with earth in me. Yeah, no doubt. That's definitely a, a way it can be looked at. I was looking for a uh, another verse, but I want to I want to look at a conversation that Jesus had with someone, and that conversation. When you read the conversation, which, uh, well, you're going to see the judgment of God in this conversation, and when you see it. It's, it's going to kind of like blow your mind and it, 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 because it's, it's so good, okay? But before I did that, I was looking for something. Let's see if I can find it. Oh, I know what the problem is. I'm in a wrong book. If you look in the right book, you might find it. There we go. So listen to this. So the Apostle Paul was Jewish, right? And he had this affinity and love for the Jewish nation. Man, the scriptures came to us through the Jews. The, 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 uh, the law came to us from the Jews. All the patriarchs, the writers of the scriptures came to us through, through the Jewish nation. So he had a love for his brethren. 
And I want you to listen to these words because it kind of speaks of uh, the barrier that was in the Jewish people that kept them from seeing the light when it came to them. But this, listen, the Jewish nation is like a microcosm of the whole world. The Jewish nation was used to show all mankind something about itself. Okay, now listen to this. This is from Romans chapter 10. Paul writes this, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that is that it might be saved. For I bear record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being, the, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted unto the righteousness of God. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, so what was Israel's problem? They had, the zeal for God they had was fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But it was not according to proper judgment, proper understanding. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, sought to establish their own righteousness. Now, that is a lesson for all of humanity, for the Jewish people, for the religious of this world, that God is not interested in your righteousness. Do you understand that? God is not interested in your righteousness. He is interested in you possessing his righteousness. That's why, you, you know, when people say, well, you, you got to believe in Jesus or you're not going to make it into the kingdom of God. And they'll quote where uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And they think, well, yeah, you, you got to be a good person and you got to believe in Jesus. And if you're good and if you believe in Jesus, when you stand in the judgment, he's going to let you in. That's what he means, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No, that's not what it means. What it means is this, that there is a life inside of me, a life. I'm going to flip this over. A life that is pictured by this character that we're speaking of. That when that life dwelleth in you, you have found God's righteousness. Otherwise, it's, your, it's just your own righteousness. Any thoughts? I'd rather have God's righteousness than my righteousness. I just got to say that, okay? Because there's nothing but, but perfection found in that righteousness. Now, let's look at a conversation that I believe is a good illustration of what God's judgment is all about. Listen to this. 
there was a man of the Pharisees, Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus at night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, but no man can do the things that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, it's interesting. We've got to picture what is going on here. Here is a teacher, a leader in Israel coming to Jesus. He acknowledges that Jesus came from God. He is desirous to know of him. That's why he came to speak with him. And instead of the Lord saying, finally, somebody got it right. Nicodemus, congratulations. You, you, you figured it out. You know what he tells him? Except, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, a born of God, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why would that be? Let's, let's talk through this. Why would it be that if a man is not born of God, he cannot see the kingdom of God? Why would that be? Because unless the eternal one, the one who is eternity, unless he resides in you and is your life, you would be incapable of either entering or perceiving God. So as wise as a person may appear to be, as religious as a person might appear to be, is intellectually prowess as a person might possibly appear to be. If you're not born of the eternal one, you are not seeing the kingdom of God. You're not perceiving that kingdom. So he says that to him. Then he goes on. <laughs> then Nicodemus responds and says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can you see the, the lack of insight and understanding that Nicodemus is communicating? We have the insight of our backgrounds to know that he, he was just completely off base. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? His thinking was so askew. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And he explains specifically what he was saying. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is flesh, you know, you're born in water, from water. That which is flesh is flesh, and that which is spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou can hear the sound thereof, but cannot tell from whence it cometh, and wh wh whither it goeth. So it is 
with every one born of God. Now that's something that could be talked about for a long time. I'm not going to get into that. But Nicodemus said unto him, How can these things be? So Jesus answered unto him, and he said, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak what we know, and we testify what we have seen, and ye receive not our testimony. Now, why would Jesus, I just got to ask, why would he say, we speak what we know, and we testify of what we have seen, and ye receive not our testimony. Who is this we? Anybody got any thoughts about that? The Son and the Spirit of yes. God within him. Yes. There are three that bear a record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yep. Absolutely. They bear a record. That's right. There are there are three records of one. Yep. Yeah. Jesus said in another place, in your own courts, it there's a, a valid testimony requires the testimony of two. Well, he has three. So. He asks that question. We know he's, who he's speaking of. If I told you of earthly things, ye believe not. How can you, you ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? So what he's trying to say is, listen, I could talk to you about things pertaining to this life in this world. And even those things you, you're going to have difficult, difficulty with. But so how can I actually possibly speak to you of heavenly things because he knew Nicodemus and the reason he didn't congratulate Nicodemus that he, he figured it out is because he realized Nicodemus did not have that mind at least not yet so he says to him to Nicodemus he says no man hath ascended up to heaven but he that came down from heaven even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And Mo as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now I tell you, you can almost stop there and say, I like that. This is good. I, I now understand. And listen to what he says. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So you see the the tie or the connection between the goodness and the love of God for humanity. What he did for us on the cross, bearing our death in himself, bearing our sin in himself, taking that to the grave and being raised a new man 
with everlasting life in his hands to bestow upon everyone that believeth on him. Man, listen, eternal life is not difficult. Now, people want to argue about all kinds of things theologically. And they get distracted with those things because those things are, more, are pretty much that. They are a distraction. But the reality is salvation is very, very simple. God loved the world. He gave himself for you and wants to give you that perfect life that we're describing. He wants his life to be inside of you. You got that? You got eternal life. And that's why Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but through me. It requires Jesus Christ to give you that life. And when you have that life, you got everything that you need. So he Which goes on. also up. why he would state, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's it's right. not difficult. No, it's not. It's not. But we make it difficult. You know why? Because we're out to establish our own righteousness and not submit to the righteousness of God. So, so one must need to, when, when we hear these things, we need to say, why am I fighting against the simplicity of the gospel? And fight, saying, I, I need to like persevere in the faith. Or I have to like not sin or keep all my sins fessed up or whatever it is. All the things that religion comes up with. Why do you come up with such things when the gospel is so ridiculously simple? And believing that thing has his life, not your life, not your righteousness, but his life manifesting out of you. His fruit, the fruit of his life. So... He goes on. He said, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the wor that the world might be saved through him. He that believeth in him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So that is pretty clear, right? So what is the condemnation? That they believe not. They have not trusted in the Son to give them the life that he came to provide for them. That's, that's the condemnation. But it's, it, it's not anyone, uh, it's not even God condemning them. They stand self-condemned because they have not believed on the Son. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. Yet men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who doeth evil hateth the light. Neither will he come unto the light, lest his, his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds might be manifest, that they are wrought, are wrought in God, or that they cometh from God. And it's interesting. This is the condemnation, that the light 
is come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. What does it mean that their deeds were evil, that they did bad things? They were trusting in themselves, yes. And instead of looking to God to provide them with what they knew they were lacking, they, just as the Jews did, they sought to establish their own righteousness through their own works. You know, it's, it's almost like a, a bizarre thing to consider this. But the very thing that religion, the world, all the world religions, including much of Christianity, the very thing that people are uh, trusting for their salvation, whether this be Islamic, Buddhist, whatever it is, is the establish of their own righteousness. That's what they're trusting in, the establishment of their righteousness before God. And what, you know what God wants you to do? Repent of that. That is the very thing that God wants you to repent of, believing that you can attain to the righteousness of God, which is a preposterous thought in, it, in itself. Yeah, this is the condemnation, that the light came into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds, their efforts to establish their own righteousness were evil. For everyone who doeth evil, everyone who is seeking to establish their own righteousness by those means, hateth the light. Why? Because, and, and neither will they come into the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. You know, you, I don't know if you all know, you all realize that nobody thinks that they're wrong. Uh, do y'all realize that everybody thinks that they're right? And we will hold on to our righteousness with our whole being because when your trust, when your faith is in yourself and your righteousness, you don't want to say it is not based on my righteousness. I have to repent from that belief system and believe on the Son to receive His righteousness. You want to resist that, and that's what we're reading here when he says, for every man that doeth evil hateth the light, neither will he come into the light, lest his efforts to establish those right, that his own righteousness will be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds might be manifest, that they are wrought in God. So let's read, let's, let's read that one more time. But he who doeth truth cometh to the light. What does it mean to do truth? Anybody got any thoughts about that? Right. If, if, if God would come to you like he did earlier in this, in this thing and says, 
Let me read it. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed on his son. So if believing on him means that I have eternal life because I believed on him for the life that he came to give, that is the doing of truth. So it, it can sound like confusing words, but he that doeth truth, do, to doeth truth means to believe on the Son. He cometh to the light that his deeds, his trust in God for the light, that they might be manifest, that they were wrought in God. So it, it has to be God who works in you this faith, this persuasion to believe onto that life. Now, when we think about judgment, uh, hang on one second. When we think about that judgment and we, and we read these scriptures here, this conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, you can see this beautiful picture of what God's judgment is. He wants to give us life, and that life is found in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have son, the Son does not have the life. That is the judgment. And whatever happens in the latter periods of human history, however that manifests, is of little consequence considering the truth of the judgment that he came to bring into the world, that he wants to give us that life. Anybody have any thoughts? Oh, Marie. If I may tie in the very beginning to the very end. So Mo was remarking the Griswolds of vacation and how the people of the darkness put up barricades and did not wish to let that family out and that there was a third party who came in and rescued them. Mo also mentioned in Isaiah 14 concerning the Satan, the destroyer of the worlds, quote, who did not open the house of his prisoners. If we trust in ourselves for life, Satan will not let us go. It's only in trusting in the living Christ and his intervention in our hearts and our lives. Yeah. Do we have life? Are we free? Amen. You know, I just to, to I wanted to uh, just share this little tidbit too at the end here that uh, 
that Jesus kind of uh, shared something with the people when he was here. He said this. He said, this is an evil generation. What does evil mean? Striving to establish your own righteousness, your own life in the world. Believing that that is going to exalt you into the kingdom. Uh, this evil generation seeketh a sign, but no sign shall be given but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Or as Jonah uh, was assigned to the, to the Ninevites, so shall the Son of Man be to this generation. And listen to this. This, like, I guess you would call heathen queen. Uh, I think it was, uh, I can't think of her name, but anyway, the queen of the south is, is how the scriptures refer. The, the queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the uttermost parts of the, the earth to hear the wisdom of Sol Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And the men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the pe preaching of Jonah. And behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. So what does it mean that they will rise up in the judgment? It means that they will stand in the judgment justified. And as they stand in the, just, in the judgment justified, but because of the life that exists within them, that will be a sign to the people who have refused to believe that their judgments were in error. Their understanding was in error. And they're going to be without excuse. They're going to see that thing manifest before them. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with his generation in Canaan. They're not going to rise up and say, shame on you people. It's they are going to rise up and stand up and be exalted in the judgment. And that exaltation will be the condemnation, will be the sign that what was to believed on in the world is actually true. Greg, did you have something? Okay. Well, the, there's so many things. Um, yes. Oh, I know. I know. The, the verse 20 for, that you quoted, for everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deed should be reproved. The, the word reproved there means to be put to the test, mm -hmm. to put yes. to the proof. So it's, it's, it's less like uh, they, they don't want to come to the light lest somebody tell chastise them, them. Right. chastise right. them. And chastisement right. isn't like we think of chastisement. Yeah. The chastisement be would be that you would bring your deeds into the light, and then it would be revealed yes. whether your deeds can produce life or not. And, right. and that would be the reproof. So it would just be a, a, a testing of your deeds. Yes. And since you brought up the scale last week, it's like if you have a scale, if you wanted to test your deeds, if you wanted to bring them to the light so that it could be seen whether they can produce what they say they can, 
you would bring them and put them on the scale. The problem is on the one side of the scale is immortality, is God's life. Yes. And the only way that your deeds can be shown to be able to produce what they say they can produce is if they produce immortality also. Absolutely. And so what's interesting about Jesus and in the context here, I think we just quickly gloss over it to Jesus talking about other people, mm -hmm. but he just talked about the son of man being lifted up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jesus brought his deeds to the light. Yep. That's right. To put his deed to the test. Yep. And he did it in front of everyone. He was lifted up. And he says, do you guys want to see what deed I'm doing, what work I'm performing to inherit eternal life? I'm going to show you right now. We're going to put it in the fire. We're going to put it to the test. So then he's lifted up on the cross just like Moses was, uh, lifted the serpent up. And what does he do? His work is he cries out to the Father for eternal life. And then we see that his deeds were shown to be true because he was raised from the dead and glorified immortal flesh, never to be able to die again. Yes. Now, everyone that will believe that that is the deed that can produce the life of God inside of them, everyone who believes that, they will also be lifted up yes. that way. Yeah. They'll be lifted up the, the same way. And, and so it's like Jesus, I mean, let there be light is set at the cross, which looks like the darkest moment, but it's actually God releasing the judgment about where life is really found. And it, it just reminded me of John 9, where Jesus says this about judgment, and then I'll shut up. Now you good. If I could just find it real because quick. Because I'm actually finished, for the most part. Let's see. We, we healed the blind man. So this is Jesus in John 9, verse 39. And Jesus said, for judgment, I am coming to this world. And then he says, then he describes the judgment that they which see not might see. And that they which see might be made blind. Yes. And so there, there's people who thought they saw and they thought the, the way to inherit the kingdom of God was to use your language today by establishing their own righteousness, yes. which is your own ability to produce life. Yes. There's those that thought that was the way and they thought they were the ones who saw. Yep. And Jesus says, I came to reveal that that's not the way. I came to reveal that that's actually the way unto death. And I came to reveal the way unto life, to give sight. So judgment opens your eyes. It's meant to heal your sight. Yes. And what would it heal your sight to? It would heal your sight to the way that's unto life and the way that's unto death. Yes. Right. And so Jesus reproved the whole thing yep. on the cross. Sure. Right? He yep. brought his deed to the light. For God so loved the world. And then from there, you, you kind of ended off on verse 20, but verse 21, he that doeth truth. Yeah. I, I'm thinking of the caption that was on last week's message, the way, the truth, and the life. Mm -hmm. They all go together. Mm -hmm. Okay. And as we fellowship with the sufferings of Christ, we're putting off the wisdom of the world. And so that that can be born in us, that is doing truth. That's right. Because we look at him and we behold the way unto life. And as we follow after that lot, as we follow after that way, that's doing truth. And he that doeth truth cometh to the light. Yeah. Then that understanding is born in us. We come to that understanding. I wanted to. Uh, I'd like to follow up on that. If go I ahead. May. 
Okay, Absolutely. someone's listing this somewhere. They're going to click on this maybe 10 years from now. And they said, yeah, I heard that verse, uh, he who has a son has life. Who, he who does not have the son does not have life. I want the life. How do I get the son? And uh, man, I bet a lot of people are going to be wondering that when they're listening to this. How do you get the son? Well, how did Mary get the son? Hmm. She got the son in her. I believe she said, uh, do it unto me according to your will. Yeah. She didn't say, what do I have to do to have the baby, Jesus? Mm -hmm. She just said to the Spirit in their conversation that night, you do it according to your will, you do it. So anybody listening to this can, I think, be encouraged by the, the truth that you no, don't have to do anything to do the Son. The Father wants to give you the Son. Just open your heart to the truth and let him do it in you. And then the truth, like a seed, will grow in you. And then you'll come to understand some of the things you never understood. Perhaps some of the things we've talked about here today. Like, what is this judgment? Judging right. man, judgment of God? I don't understand anything. Then you start to say, oh, I do see a difference. There is a source of life called God, and there is a source of death called the wisdom of Satan. Hmm. Now I see before, when man was assaulted in the garden and impregnated with death, Satan used the death as evidence against man when they weren't even the author of the death. <laughs> and then I see that when Mary simply opened herself up to receive the seed of Jesus in her, that what grew in her was the work of God in her. And she went to sleep after that. She rested. Yeah, you don't, you don't hear, uh, Mary did not say very much in the scriptures. Uh, the, her oratory is limited, okay? But, you know, it's kind of interesting when they were at the wedding in Canaan and uh, she goes to Jesus and said, they're out of wine. And Jesus says, what have I to do with thee, woman? And she tells the servants, whatever he says, do it. And what is Jesus saying to do? To believe on the Son and receive the life. And you do that thing, and you got it made. You got it made for life, your life will never be the same because you will have been born of God. Well, I, I just want to make clear for sure. in case I confused anybody that uh, believing is not a command. No. Believing is not even a choice of the will. That's right. Believing is something that happens to you because the faith of God has worked a persuasion in your heart such that you now see things from his perspective. And so, again, uh, it's not like uh, I can implant a seed in myself. Right. God implants the seed in you. God waters it. God grows it. God nurtures it. And God produces the fruit from it. That's right. So uh, most people, well, anybody with a carnal mind who operates from the foundation of the wisdom of Satan, the thought that you can preserve your own life, 
will hear anything we're talking about as something to do. No doubt. But it's as not. As opposed it's a persuasion. to something for you. It's something. There's a big difference between this is for you right. and this is for you to do. Yes. Yes. It's something that is shown to you. And that thing that is shown communicates this intrinsic love of God and desire for him to be one with you. That, that, that you, your heart is persuaded on to belief. And the, the belief, though, it is something yes. that, that comes out of you. And so yes. to have the sun is to have something. And you could describe it a million different ways, depending on which, whether you talked about it from the perspective of the Holy Spirit, whether you talked about it from the perspective of the faith that was in Jesus. Because mm-hmm. the scriptures talk about it in multiple ways. But to have the son would be to have the same faith that was in the son's heart when he was on the cross, which faith was is that the father has life in himself and he has come to give me his life as a gift. And you would call upon the name of the father, right? And you would commit your desire for life into his hands. And then what would happen is, is that would be it unto you according to his word, like Mary said. The, the gospel, Jesus Christ is the father saying to you, that he has come to, to use Thomas's language, impregnate you with his life, Yes. right? To fill you with his life. And then you would call upon his name, like Mary, be it unto me, right? And so to have the son is to have the faith that was in his heart, which is the deed, which is he was persuaded that the father has life in himself and that the father will pour out of himself his life into Jesus, free from anything he could do, free from his works, right? And then you just call upon his name. Yep. And I mean, you could describe it from the perspective of the Holy Spirit. He who has the Son has the Holy Spirit. Yep. You have the Spirit of the Son or the life that was poured out of the Son when he ascended to the right hand of the Father and sat down, right? So he who has the Son has the Spirit that was in the Son when the Son saw that the way unto life is not to preserve myself from this cross. The way unto life is not the strength Uh, or the weakness I see in myself. The way into life is not the strength or the weakness I see in the world. The way into life is not found in, in, in the honor that the world bestows or takes away. But the way into life is found only in the Father and His desire to give it to me as a gift. And now that spirit starts animating your thoughts about everything as you walk in the world. And as it does that, it becomes a tree of life in every area, meaning that it produces the fruit of the Spirit in every area of your life. But it's a very simple thing that the Spirit come to do to us. It come to bring something about in us where we're influenced unto the belief that life is only found in God. That's right. And we, that, that core belief starts to become everything. Whereas at first, it just seems like a small thing because we were taught we need to avoid hell. And so when we think of looking to God, we don't think of looking to God for life in this area over here or this area over there or that area. We only think of, trying to not go to hell. And so then we think, okay, well, that's said and done. I'm not going to hell. And then we go over here in our relationships, and we're still trying to find life from our relationships, our life in our jobs, our life in our business, or our money, or our acceptance from people, never understanding that God is the only person that can give life no matter what situation. So if I'm in this situation with my family, and it's going to to hell in a handbasket, forgive my my play on words, the answer isn't now if I can fix what's going to hell in a handbasket, then I can have peace or life. No, the answer is the life I'm desiring, even in this situation, is found in me looking to God. So now, instead of trying to fix the family situation, I cry out to God. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. for, and, and commit my desire for life in this situation into his hands. Yep. And now he's taken upon himself, to use Barity's language, he's taken upon himself my problems and my family. And he's taken upon himself the responsibility of serving me with peace even in the midst of everything going wrong. And I, I think that's a simple thing that is so powerful that comes to rewire our whole thought process. Whereas we walk in the world and we're encountering everything, the judgment of God is born in us, meaning our sight's been healed. Yes. And we no longer think the power to have life is in this circumstance or this situation. But we see the judgment that was revealed in Jesus, which is that the power to find life is found in God and not in this circumstance. And so your mind gets taken off of your circumstance and it gets lost with God yep. and his life, right? Yes. And he produced it, then that life, that same life that it was in him, that same faith that was in him begins to, be, to manifest in you. And you, you, you be given eyes to see and understand and a heart of compassion to deal with the folks around you in, in all the myriad of the situations that we deal with. You know, uh, John Harris posted something a few, four days ago, and he said this. He said, the faith of the Son of God that got him from the cross to glory will do the same in us. And I got to tell you, that is a very thoughtful statement. It, you, you could dwell on that thing for a long time. But the Lord's trusting his father to take him and to produce resurrected life in his dying body was what is meant to be seen at the cross because he knew the love of God for him as a, a man who was dying in our sins and not in his sins, in our sins. So we should be able to so correlate with Jesus on the cross that as we see him trusting God to save him in the midst of his sin, apart from the sin, but only because he was God's beloved son in whom he is well pleased. When, when we begin to see that faith that was in him, that same ability for, for God to raise us from the dead, both figuratively and literally, comes to fruition. And, and it manifests in our lives even today. I'm sorry? The life that now is. The life that now is. Absolutely. A, a good picture that will confound people's thinking about judgment because we have such a negative connotation. Yeah. A, a good image in the Gospels of the judgment of God manifesting is every time Jesus cast out a demon out of somebody, right? He, he's like the judgment of God walking around yeah. and removing the darkness that's already there, dividing asunder yes. the darkness that's already there. And I, yeah. I think that that's an image that helped me with Revelation. Right. The darkness was already there. Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't give the darkness. He's just the light. That's right. And when the light shows up, it reveals the darkness and yes. then it sends it away. Yes. And that's what he did with all the, the people that were demonized. And that's what he comes to do in creation. Right. He comes to. I don't want to say he it's, it's not that he comes to reveal in the sense that what's not there, he comes and makes it comes out. It's in the presence of the Lord, everything is made manifest. Amen. Like the demon would come and say, what have we to do with you, Lord? Have you come to torment us before our day? Well, Jesus never said anything to him. He didn't have to do anything. All he did was show up. 
And then they flared up, but yeah. they were already there. And when they flared up, what did he do? He removed it. Yep. And that's exactly what's going to happen in Revelation, right? It's yep. just that in his presence, the darkness that's there is going to flare up. Yep. And then what's he going to do? Reveal, re- remove the darkness that's already there. That's the judgment, yep. right? His judgment is unto life. Amen. His judgment is unto the end of death. His judgment is unto the end of evil. And it's not that he even comes and kills evil like we think of killing evil. All he shows up and and says is Babylon doesn't have life in itself. Babylon doesn't have eternal life. Babylon doesn't have life to give. All he has to do is say that. And then what Babylon already is, the death that's already in her because she doesn't have life is just manifested. And then it brings itself to an end. Because death doesn't have life. So if you just let death free to do what it's going to do, do you know what death is going to do? It's going to die. It's going to bring itself to an end. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Anybody else have any thoughts? Okay. Felipe? I know, and you didn't bring this up, but the the case of the rich young ruler. Um, I I have heard that spoken, you know, many times, and people would go, "Well, the rich young ruler, you know, he blew it, and he walked away, and you know, and and, and it's like I hear man making a judgment of the outcome of the rich young ruler." Yes. Okay, and I kind of go, well, how about your judgment about Nicodemus? How about your judgment on all the apostles that were in doubt? Yeah. How about mm-hmm. all of that judgment? Maybe your judgment is crap, you know? <laughs> so it, it's like... We'll bleep like, that out. Okay, sorry. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, but I mean, what, what, what mm-hmm. changed my heart on this was going back to what's on the side of your board and that was all the qualities and the traits of God yes and and when I went back and I saw wait a minute Jesus looked upon the rich young ruler and loved him yes at at that point I just kind of went I don't care if the guy's in Goomba an idiot or what but I know that Jesus loved him and so my judgment now is I don't know the rest of this story, but I know the goodness of God for that rich young ruler. Actually, I do know the answer. Okay. To the rich young, I, I can give you a definitive answer for the rich young ruler. Please. I can tell you this. He had great hope. Let me tell you why. Then, uh, then Jesus said unto his disciples, verily, verily, it is that a rich man, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were exceedingly amazed. They were like, who then can be saved? But Jesus said to them, with man, it is impossible. But with God, Mm -hmm. all things are possible. And it's not that there is something when men trust in their wealth yeah. that is a, a, an impingement to believing 
on the sun. There is some kind of a, a, a barrier that might exist in their hearts to that. But what Jesus did for us on the cross and the love that he holds for us in a cart on the cross overwhelms all those things. It did money, all, anything. He, he circumvents all that stuff and reveals himself and reveals his love to us. And even a rich young ruler can be saved. And, and, and that's why he said, that's why I see great hope. I've heard people talk negatively about the rich long, young ruler, but they exclude that verse where he says, with man is impossible, but with God all things are possible. It also in Hebrew says that no chastisement for the present time is without sorrow. Yeah. And so he was just chastised. Yeah. And right. he, he was just shown that his treasure was full of moth and rust. Yeah. And so, the, yeah, there could be a period of sorrow for a moment when you go off. If you're putting all of your hope in the fact that you performed all these commandments and then the wealth you think you got, that's the sign you performed all the commandments. Uh, and yeah. then Jesus basically comes and says they're all done. Right. So I, I, even just interpreting him walking off that way, I don't I don't see that as any sign that he no. he rejected yeah. Jesus. I think it's consistent with how a person would feel okay. that had received the truth. Yeah, right. right. It's like a, a, a meeting of the the the, the it's like a, a crossroads in your life. Sometimes it doesn't feel pleasant at the moment right. when yeah. you meet a crossroads. If you invested your whole life into this right. and then all of a sudden you're confronted with it's right. worthless. Yeah. Right, you might walk away dealing with something. <laughs> yeah, right. well, if he didn't receive it, it wouldn't have made him sorrowful. It'd have made him mad. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. So listen to this. If he, if he was oh, still, go ahead. If he, if he was still banking on his treasures, he wouldn't have been sorrowful. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There was there was there was a manifestation of light that caused a temporary sorrow in him, but he wanted to communicate to his disciples. That, that that guy going off, being dejected, does, did not mean that God is not capable of overcoming that and bringing that same young man yeah. to salvation yeah. and to great enlightenment. Right. Because it's when we are, when the light exposes error, uh, that, that the error can be defeated and overcome. Yes, you know, th there, there's this, uh, the Christmas song, uh, Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Hmm. Let's pray. We'll close. Hold, 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 oh, we still got something? Yeah, hold on. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can't, you should, probably should have ended with that thought, but. Okay. That's okay. You say it again when I'm done. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten yeah. son. Uh -huh. So there we were in sin and error, yes. right? And nobody was calling upon the name of the Lord because nobody thought that the Lord was there to give them life as a gift. Yeah. No one knew that the father wasn't holding their sin against them. And yeah. so the father gives the only begotten son. Th that word begotten there is not the same begotten that's used in other places, in Acts and in the scriptures. Uh -huh. That word begotten there is meant to signify the only one who was inside of the Father from eternity. Yes. The only one who could actually speak as the Father himself yes. because he was always present in the Father. God gave that one to us. 
that always was, that was always the begotten Son. He gave that one to us so that we might have our deeds reproved Mm -hmm. or put to the proof Mm -hmm. so we could see that the way we thought was unto life was actually unto death. And when he gave us the one that was always with him and in him, what happened is is that one, when his deeds were put to to the proof, he called out to the Father. And now we see the way to inherit life is to call out to the Father. And we're followers of that way. Yes. Right? And, and, And then God proves it, which is the other begotten. This day have I begotten you. God proves through the spirit of holiness that Jesus is from above. And what he taught about the way to inherit life was the truth because then the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. And that's when Jesus was proved or appeared as the high priest or appeared as what he always was, which was the son. Yes. Right? And, And so God gave his only begotten son so that all those who could see in him, which was the way to life, yes, right? And find that same thing influencing them to call upon the Father, right? And that's why we're considered followers of the way. Now say the thing about the, the song. Yeah. Oh, I think I, I already said it. No, say know. it again. Say it again. <laughs> okay. Long lay the world in sin and our pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. So... His appearance, his showing up on the scene with that light and life and love to give to us as a gift. Now listen, that's a Christmas gift there. Let's pray. The next words oh. are a thrill of hope. Yes. The, the weary world rejoices. Amen. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Amen. And that all ties in to what we've been discussing. It sure does. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are. Uh, As we looked at today, your attributes are beyond counting, and your love for us is beyond measuring. And we, we, we count it such a blessing to be uh, one with you in, in knowing your heart towards us, that it is nothing but toward good and uh because lord that is the light that this world needs to see that there is a goodness that can be found and that that uh that goodness can overcome the darkness that's found in this world and bring eternal life to the hearer Uh, we love you lord and we thank you for all these things in jesus name amen